Coming up on episode 66 of the Upful Life Podcast. Yeah! It was like Hunter just called and said, you know, do you want to play with us? I was like, yeah, of course I want to play with you guys. And I just came into it really honoring Murph, his legacy, what I feel like the beautiful thing, I, you know, because I was there for it, right? I, I was there for all the beautiful things, you know? I was there the first time they played Red Rocks. I was there all those times, you know? So I really had this understanding that I think helped me in that moment kind of communicate to fans that like, like I get it. Welcome to the Upful Life Podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. And we're coming to you live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California. High stepping it down Route 66. The sun is shining, the weather is sweet too. So grateful you are tuning in. There's something else from rejuvenation. Thing called ain't no use to cut you loose. Episode 66 of the Upful Life Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Live for Live Music and GMP for the Fest by Night programming. And that's right, I'm talking about New Orleans Jazz and Heritage Festival. It's every year, like we always do about this time, headed down to the beloved Crescent City. This is going to be my 18th Jazz Fest, and it's been several uh, since the Live for Live Music crew uh, started doing their thing down in the Big Easy. So you can check out all the amazing collaborative events taking place this year, Jazz Fest, Fest by Night 2023. Go to liveforlivemusic.com backslash Fest by Night, F-E-S-T-B-Y-N-I-T-E. Liveforlivemusic.com backslash Fest by Night. The lineup is ridiculous. Uh, kicks off with the Nth Powers tribute to the Gap Band with members of Dumpster Funk and more. That's a show I've been looking forward to for three years. It was supposed to happen, Jazz Fest 2020. We all know what happened instead. And they're finally bringing it to fruition. So very much looking forward to that. 
and I could run them all down, but there's like 14 or more shows. So go to liveforlivemusic.com backslash fest by night if you're going to be in the Crescent City and you see a playa in the streets, holla at your boy. I'm going to be there for the duration. Sounds like the wife's got to stay home. So flying solo, first time in a long time. Looking forward to it. Um, and yeah, live for live music. Big up yourselves. so beautiful don't you agree that's that new adam deitch take your time the song is called shelter i just like had to come off the top rope with it because anytime your favorite artist releases a new record it's cause for celebration but when it's this fucking good then you start the podcast off with a little bit of adam deitch take your time on golden wolf records just dropped and it's everything you want out of that kind of thing from adam producer hip-hop instrumental ethereal psychedelic but also groovy also spit bars over it's got it all shout out adam can't wait to see a birthday coming up nola bound y'all know what it is i'm gonna try to keep this part short because i i'm told the intros and, and the beginnings of the pods are too long but i'm a wordy motherfucker and i get excited about music so what do you want from me uh what I want from y'all, if you have the time and are so inclined, is to please rate and review the Upful Life podcast, preferably on Apple Podcasts, but really whatever your podcast platform of choice, it goes a long way into steering those algorithms in this direction and bringing new listeners, bringing new ears, new souls to the Upful Life podcast. And my friends, that is a wonderful thing. There are like four or five new reviews up since we last spoke that's me pounding my heart my chest for all y'all down for the cause picking up what i'm putting down and i feels it so let's continue that momentum and the movement with some more ratings and reviews and of course if you just want to holler at me and people have been hollering at me b.gets at upfullife.com send me an email b.getz at upfullife.com i love to hear from the people and it really warms my heart when I get these missives, be they short or long, be they suggestions or recommendations or constructive criticisms. I love it all. So please continue to holla. And, you know, like I said, if you're picking up what I'm putting down and you want to support the Upful Life podcast, you can do so by sliding through upfullife.com. There is a button that says support at the top of the site. You can click that. 
send me a few dollars for making you holla. Because, you know, I could get paid for doing the wild thing. And uh, with that, let me just run you through the last few weeks of FullLife.com. Shout out Live For Live Music. They've been publishing a ton of my work as usual. And uh, we've been getting up. Did the Slaytanic Panic, which was a uh, Special's Wet and Wild NorCal debut. Uh, introducing Starling Arrow, Journey into the Songwriter Circle that blossomed into a supergroup. That's a Rising Appalachia side project with A. Lenario, among others. I uh, did a preview for Discovery Con, which is a psychedelic culture on. Uh, it's a conference on psychedelic culture, policy, and science in San Francisco. It happens just a couple days from now. And I did a long preview on that, as well as a review of Gone Gone Beyond's sold-out show at the Independent in San Francisco. It's called Stargazing. You know we love Gone Gone Beyond. This is a big Gone Gone Beyond house. My man, the human experience, David Block, who you heard on this podcast about a year and a half ago. It's going to be a bicycle day in San Francisco, which is a celebration of the fateful bike ride, Dr. Albert Hoffman. Actually, today, as I'm recording this pod on the 16th, today's the day that he synthesized the sacrament, LSD-25, and it is three days from now, on April 19th, that he rode his bike home, having accidentally ingested uh, said sacrament, and the rest is quite literally history. 80 years to the day since, uh, you know, people started getting dosed. I did a preview on Bicycle Day, which is the musical side of the celebration. You heard about Discovery Con, which is a conference including all kinds of folks. I talked about it last month on the pod. Uh, Just speakers and presenters and doctors and researchers and cultural uh, heroes and the like. And Bicycle Day is a wild party into the night. So I did a preview of that. All of these can be found on liveforlivemusic.com and of course upfullife.com. I did one, Getting Funky in Fog City, with Krasno More Project and the Jazz Mafia. That show was last week at the Chapel in San Francisco. And I'm going to finish with Resonate Swanee 2023. That was a festival at the Spirit of Swanee Music Park. Favorite place on earth. Sound Tribe Sector 9, Lettuce, Sema Funk, Mark Farina, Emancipator, the Polish Ambassador, Desert Dwellers, Dirtwire. It was a party. It was a fun time. It was intimate. It harkened back to Purple Hatter's Ball in a lot of ways. That springtime blissful vibe at the Spirit of Swanee. And one of the artists that performs Sector 9, member of that band, is my guest for episode 66 of the Up for Life podcast. But you can read all those articles that I just shared with you. Upfullife.com, liveforlivemusic.com. The writing is really the engine that powers the whole operation. Because if I wasn't out there putting words on paper or digital, however, then none of the opportunities would come my way that allow me to sort of navigate this culture and chronicle it in my own unique way. And I'm so grateful and honored and privileged to be able to do that for so long and to continue this train and rolling. So let's do that. I think I still talked for a really long time, even though I said I wasn't going to, but I'm really just listening to the Deitch beats. I cannot get over how dope this shit is. So we're going to ride out with a little more Adam Deitch.
Yes, indeedy. Anthony B., big up yourself. It is indeed my honor and privilege and pleasure to welcome to the Up Full Life podcast Alana Rockland, bassist of STS9. Absolutely stoked that we connected for this uh, lengthy and illuminating conversation. So uh, I didn't really know her before this. You know, we had, you know, commented back and forth, message here and there relative to music through social, kind of the norm, but we didn't have a personal relationship and uh, just knew they were coming to resonate and Swanee and being dear to my heart, that place, and, uh, just reached out and we tried to coordinate it for during resonate, but obviously for plethora of reasons it's very difficult to uh pull that kind of time that kind of quiet that kind of uh, intention and attention so we set it up for zoom and did it a few days after resonate now for those of you less initiated uh alana is bassist she's based in nashville she's got roots all over the place i'm not going to go through her whole life story because she tells a lot of it in this conversation but she joined uh, Sound Tribe Sector 9 in 2014 after founding member David Murphy's departure. She studied bass at University of Michigan. She found her way to Nashville. She's a session musician with many different folks and going out on tour with the likes of Jim James for his solo projects. She's rocked with Justice League and laid down the baseline for my favorite Andre 3000 song of all time, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, prior to joining Sector 9, she was already affiliated with 1320 Records, which is their label, with her husband, Brad Bowden, and their project Sub-ID, which she talks about at length in the conversation as well. Um, so we just get into her whole journey and kind of the blueprint of what this pod is about. A lot of it's about music and the cultures that surround, but it's also about the personal journey and you know, uh, inspiration, overcoming adversity, and navigating the waves of life, especially with the soundtrack of music. And Alana was perfect for that. She jumped right in. It was as if we already knew each other. Uh, very, very uh, heartwarming and, like I said, illuminating free exchange of ideas. I look, look forward to speaking with her again down the road. So I hope you all enjoy this conversation as much as we did. Alana Rocklin, bassist, Sound Tribe Sector 9, on episode 66 of the Up For Life podcast. I'm your host, B. Getz. Yes, indeedy. What a joy and honor and a privilege I have on this Friday morning uh, here in Oakland uh, to speak with the one and only Alana Rockland, bassist of Sound Tribe Sector 9, and someone that you know I know a lot of fans are interested in hearing from. You've been requested a number of times by listeners and, uh, and fans of the band, so truly, truly grateful for you making this time. Thank you so much, man. Thanks for having me. So cool. I've checked out your podcast, you know, um, so I was honored that you asked. Right on, right on. You know, the feelings are mutual, and I'd like to welcome you to the Up for Life podcast. We like to talk about music, 
we also sort of just talk about life, inspiration, overcoming adversity, or any of the sort of magical things that go on in our universes that make us tick, inspire us with art, community. And I think that you're uniquely suited for such a conversation. Oh, awesome. I can't wait. Let's do it. <clears throat> yeah, so we're we're still riding high, my wife and I and all our friends from an epic weekend at the Spirit of Swanee Music Park, which, as you know, is very dear to us and, of course, dear to you and the band. And it was a very, uh, like, the, the Sound Tribe Sector 9 energy and community was really in full blossom. And it was amazing to experience that as a fan, as a journalist, with my partner, et cetera. So that's my take. I would like to hear, you know, some of your your quick reflections and experiences uh, with Resonate Swanee 2023. I mean, it was, it was like really, it was just beautiful. Like I, the vibes were so high. Um, <clears throat> after the first night, we, after, after the second set, the first night, uh, Zach and I took a golf cart ride just around the grounds. Like we just wanted to like feel it for a second. And it was just, the vibe was just so good. I, I mean, I've been, obviously you have too been to a lot of festivals and it was, it was noticeable, right? Like the energy. And of course, like, um, I mean, in, in our STS9 where we don't, we don't take credit for that. That is like y'all, that is the people that are there. Um, and so we just felt, we just felt blessed, man. It was just, you know, we, we've, we've been trying to facilitate some kind of like our own festival for a while. You know, I'm sure, you know, the history, a little bit of, STS9, you know, festivals and, and whatnot. We did wave spell a few years ago uh, before pandemic. And um, sadly that venue is like done. I mean, you can't even go there. So it was a great opportunity for us to try to do it. And at Swanee, I mean, it is like made for, for that, you know, it's just, it's like ready. <laughs> so we had an awesome time. It was great. You could tell in the music and your smiles on stage and the band's sort of like communicative energy. And then what was the exchange between band and audience. And the amp is a very, very special place for, for fans. Obviously, the natural amphitheater, the, the environment and the trees and the Spanish moss and all that optically and energetically, but also like the history of the land and like what's transpired there with indigenous tribes and community building. And like, I'd like to say there's like ley lines in that earth mm -hmm. that foment or hold or create a container that allows for these experiences happen. And like you said, you know, you play a lot of festivals. I go to a lot of festivals and I have fun at, at many, but Swanee exists in a rarefied air. Um, and I think that you just, it's, it's hard to explain to uh, somebody who hasn't been, you know, you kind of just have to go and surrender to the flow. And I love that you and Zach jumped, jumped in a golf cart. Again, that's not the norm. You don't usually see artists, certainly headliners at other festivals, just gallivanting around, <laughs> but you certainly see that all the time. And I've made many an acquaintance in those woods. So I get that. And as you know, I got married there. Uh, my whole life kind of just turned around when I first went to Bear Creek in 2008 and and I, you know, I, I go back there in almost like a spiritual journey as much as it is a party, you know, it's, it's both. And that's why I thought Sector 9 was so perfect for this event at this time. I did go to the first wave spell. I do love Belden Town. Um, it's a bit difficult to get out there. And yeah. it's a pretty rural place. And of course, the 
you know, the area is not conducive to an invasion of thousands and thousands of people. And the thing about Tuani is they have the live oak, the, the politicians, the, the service, the services in the area, they've all sort of like slowly and steadily gotten a grip on egress, gotten an understanding on how fans are, you know, because you're in a really rural kind of yeah. country area of the U.S. They weren't used to us until, you know, we made them get used to us. And now they embrace us. There's no longer this sort of like fear or draconian police presence. A lot has really evolved. Yes. And, and Resonate was such a beautiful example of all that work. I felt that, man. I, I can relate to that hard because, I mean, you know, man, we we announce a festival, it's ours, it'd be like, Florida, of all places, like, you're going to go to Florida, and like, I get it, like, right, like, we we all we all can understand, we don't need to say anything about that, we know. Um, when you're at Swanee, you don't feel that, you're in your own world, and it feels respected, it feels like, I mean, you, you know, you drive out, and you know, you might see like a cop or something, but it feels like they know you're there, they're fine with your, they know you're not trying to do any harm or do anything wrong. It felt that way to me. I mean, I've been there so many times and in other circumstances and I just like having our own thing there. It was, we loved it. We we're like, we hope we can do it again. We're like already have ideas for what we want to do next time. Like, you know, we, we have big ideas. We're, we're a big ideas kind of group. So we were so inspired by the the moment and the whole thing and uh, that we we were just like throwing out ideas to Paul, like, what if we do this? We can do this, you know, like, you know, so I think I'm hoping we, we do go back and get to do all those things. It'd be awesome. Uh, yeah, the, we agree. And it's been a talk in the aftermath, like, can we do it again? And um, I certainly, you know, I'm finishing up my own, you know, wrap up report that I do at the end of the festivals and I'm certainly going to sing the praises and strongly suggest you know another chapter you know so I, I agree and again like I'm aware of the long and winding journey of tribe and festivals and and some have worked and some haven't and the, the finances don't always line up with the energy and sometimes the best experiences are the the most red ink and vice versa and and it's difficult especially in this economy in a post-pandemic reality Again, what made last weekend so special? Well, all those elements were navigated in, in about as smooth as possible. And, and musically, it was a journey, you know? Yeah. Um, we ran into each other backstage briefly. We we're trying to coordinate this down there. Um, and you referenced you had to get back in shed because you guys were digging deep. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess that was 1103. Right? Yes. That's, right. So yeah. a lot of folks were like really surprised by that. And I didn't really... Gr- rock the gravity of the bust out until I talked to some of my friends that were more in the know. So we're just curious, like, how does y'all arrive at the decision to, like, to pull a song that's been dormant? And then, uh, you know, tell me about the process. Like, you as the newest mm-hmm. member of the band, 
in essence, learning something for the first time and then observing your bandmates who wrote the song, who put it on the shelf, kind of reconnecting with the song. Take us in the band room for a sec. Yeah, man. You know, we we have, you know, we have an ongoing list of songs that we know that people want to hear that maybe we're not playing right now. Um, 11 of three, we had done parts of it um, within other songs, like little pieces, but we hadn't done the whole thing. And that's kind of, a lot of times we'll do that. We'll sort of start with, Hey, let's take a piece. Let's see how it feels. And if we, if it feels good, like we'll, dig back into the whole thing. For some reason, 1103 kind of like, like missed that. Like we, we did think it was rad, but we just, we just didn't do it all the way. And I think right now we're just in a really, um, the, the entire band is in a really open place of the catalog of all the music. I think sometimes, you know, it can be really, I mean, for them, I can only imagine they've been a band for 25 years and some of the songs were written when they were, 17 maybe or whatever and you just feel weird you're like it's not really like like I don't really feel like connected to it anymore right and so I think there's more openness to that than ever of just like oh somebody wants to hear that well shit let's play it you know like the honor of that like the 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 true appreciation that anyone gives a shit about any music that we've made or make or anything. It's powerful for us. Like, we're like, wow, okay. Y'all want to hear 1103? Let's do it. You know? And so that one was a, was an interesting one. Um, Technically there's some things, you know, through the eras of the band that will affect bringing a song back, right. When it was made, what, where it got to just various like, technical things. Um, and that one, I think was, I think we went back to like 2008 on that one to, and then, you know, um, Hunter works on it. Um, he really goes in, he's, you know, he's our, 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 our main producer and, and guy, you know? Um, so if we bring up Zach and I do all the set lists. So if, if Zach and I are like, oh, the fans want to hear 1103. Hey, do you think we could do 1103? You know, and, and Hunter will be like, well, let me let me figure it out. Let me see what I got. So he'll go back and, hey, I found this thing. Let's check it out. And like we check it out. And he's like, oh, it's pretty, it's pretty dope. Okay. He'll work on it for a while. We might work on the arrangement. We might work on the form. Maybe, maybe the, I mean, some of the old songs, it's really funny. They'll have like sections that'll be like random number of bars. Like, okay, this is 17 bars. Like, you know what, let's just make it 16. Like, you know, like, um, so, you know, we'll go in, we'll kind of do some of those, those things. And then he'll usually, he'll hand it off to Brad, who my husband, Brad, our engineer, um, to work on it, work on the stems, kind of just make it sound like 2023 STS9, um, in a way. And then we, then we just go in, you know, we just practice. I mean, right now it's a little different because I'm in, I'm not in Santa Cruz. And so, are you know we'll we'll get online we'll get on zoom you know they'll be in the studio i'll be here we'll work on things but that's generally how it goes for resurrecting songs um and i feel like it's going to be something we i mean the band has so many songs it's like it's unreal like really i mean we could be busting out songs every all the time forever and probably not get to some of them you know so I feel like we're we're going to be doing that just in general. We have different things that we're pulling from. We're definitely like 
man, we're just, we're going for it. I mean, I, I don't, I don't know how somebody hit me up like, like about resonate and like, well, you know, like, how are you guys like, what, what what's going on right now? Why are you guys like, you know, bringing this certain energy? I don't know. I just feel like we're, we're just really hungry for it in a way of like, we, we just want to, we want to blow people's minds like every show. Like there's no, there is no festival set. There is no mindset like that. It's like, we, we want to fuck people up like, like on the real. So. Resonate felt that way. We felt like we got there. Um, Zach and I are pushing the boundaries of how we combine songs, the order of songs, things that like you always, maybe you're used to hearing as an opener, like is at the end of the set, or we're really trying to like push all of that. Like, and I would say like my, you know, we all have roles in the band that are pretty defined, right? Like and it's, it's really just about what somebody's good at, you know, and, and letting that person do what they're good at, you know? Um, and I am like the kind of, my role is to kind of musically figure shit out like that. Like, oh, you could do this into this into this. Here's how you could do it. We could change keys here. We could, you know, change tempo here. And, and Zach and I are in like a beyond flow of set list, like how we're doing it, how it's flowing. It's not like, you know, it just, it's just working. It's like, we're in this mode where, you know, and at other times it's been like, set lists have been challenging, you know, just to try to like, yeah, I, I think all bands experience that. It's just like, if you, if you, if you're a band that has 200 some songs in rotation and you're trying to, you know, make it work nightly, I think that's one of the cool things about not touring for six weeks at a time. And, and that's part of the, I think, really cool inspiration about shows right now for us is that like, because we're doing these sort of like focused events, we can do that. We can like go, okay, we're going to, we're going to have these two nights resonate was so special because we did a sunset set and then we took an hour break and then we did another set. It was dope, you know? And we've tried to like really think about that. Um, So we're, you know, I don't know if that, I think that answers your question a little bit. That's kind of how it is. You know, we, um, we really do work together um, pretty seriously on all that stuff. I love that. And it shows, you know, I mean, there was a lot to unpack there. You certainly answered the question and you got into another question, but I'm going to let that one rest for a sec relative to the, you know, the short runs versus long touring. Um, yeah. But that's something I've talked about with a number of artists and I do want to explore with you, but relative to the bust outs and the set lists and the catalog, first of all, I think one of, uh, Sector 9's calling cards for me and I think for fans in general has been the intention behind the music and like set and setting what you're playing when what it means whether it's something intensely personal to the listener or something on a more macro scale that everyone can tap into very intimate music yeah. not not a whole lot of like 
sensory overload all the time. It's, it's patient and deep and intimate. And, and so when you talk about like the intention on the other side, what goes into it, how you pull the songs, how you workshop them, and then decide when to play them relative to time of day or location or time of year. I mean, that's the intentional stuff that keeps people coming back. And then as you reference the current day sort of unpredictability, the really fresh and, and in the momentness of the current set list and performances, because, you know, you can write the songs on paper, but then you got to play them. And I can speak from experience. You know, I've been seeing the band for a really long time. And this year, this calendar year, I found myself at both nights at Red Rocks and Sacred Rose and uh, Brooklyn Comes Alive and Resonate. And they were all unique to themselves. There was really very little where I could say, oh, this reminds me of that, or they're doing the same thing they were doing then. And they were not, you know, I mean, two hours at Sacred Rose, long set at Brooklyn Comes Alive, and then, you know, four sets that resonate. So really, you know, it's like, impressive and ambitious and i just want to reciprocate that and let you know like we feel it we hear it i talk to the other fans and people are really inspired and you're drawing a lot of folks back that maybe had seen a lot of nine and had, you know whether it was the pandemic or parenthood or any number of reasons that you can't be on it like you used to be the the allure is really strong now so thank you for whatever y'all are doing in the kitchen because it's it's working and it's powerful. And I, I think it's resonating, no pun intended, with all the generations of Sector 9 fans. I'm 45, you know? I actually saw them at the Georgia Theater in 1998. They were a four <laughs> piece. And I, only because I had a crush on this girl. Hi, Robin, if you're listening, we're still close. And uh, I wanted to go visit her at college. And, you know, she's like, oh, this is HB. This guy in my dorm or neighborhood has a band. We got to go see them. And they yeah. were playing the Georgia Theater. And they were like, you know, it was pre-Bukum revolution. There was yeah. no amen break yet. It was like a jam band. But I, you know, even then you could see the promise. You could hear the chemistry. And so, you know, my bandmate came back to me in Burlington, Vermont in 2000 on the back end of High Sierra. He knew I loved drum and bass. And he was like, there's this band that's playing that shit. Yeah. And then I found myself, you know, at a show. and. I saw, you know, quite a bit between 2000 and 2005 and then a long break. And it was really you, my curiosity about you several years ago that even brought me back, that brought me to Wave Spell to begin with. And now I, I'm all the way in the cauldron again. And you have Love a it. major role in that. So, you know, give Thank thanks. You. Let's yes. jump way back to young Alana. Ooh. I know you started playing bass around eight. I want to know what were the, the signposts young you whether they were albums or life experiences that drew you to the instrument and to music in general wow it's a great question i um <clears throat> my dad I, I owe a lot to my dad he decided to to get us instruments for birthdays one year he he was just like i want you to take music lessons what what do you want to play and i was like drums and he's like no nobody's <laughs> playing drums. drums are off the list I like, okay i had this babysitter that played bass in a band. And so I just said bass. I didn't know what I was really saying, honestly, like, you know, thinking back on it. But I was like super into music from a very young age. I had a record player when I was like four and five. You know, my first record was like Toto. Um, I mean, I, I was really into music. So even before I was playing 
the bass at eight, you know, I was really um, always into my records and always then into tapes. And, you know, I was really into like, I'm trying to think like what records I had. So when I was like little, like five to eight, my records were like uh, Toto, like I said, Toto for um, Hollow Notes. Prince, Shaka Khan. I mean, I, I, I don't know how. I was living in LA at the time. Um, so I, maybe Los Angeles had some kind of influence on that. I don't know, 80s LA was pretty, pretty interesting. So I always also had like Van Halen going. And I had, I think one of the first songs I ever learned was uh, Tears for Fears, Shout. Shout, shout. That was the first song I ever learned. So that I, I was like obsessed with music. And when I got that bass, um, basically it was like my dad was, my dad was kind of like, he got it. It was like a rental. Right. And he was like, okay, I got you lessons and a, and a bass. And if you show that you're going to practice and that you're into it, I'll, I'll then buy you the bass and we'll, you'll continue. And he, uh, he, he still has it. Like I, at one point, like signed this little contract that I wrote out that was like, I won't quit, you know? Um, and he got and he bought me the bass and I just took lessons at my, at the local music store in LA. And probably just because of where I was, the, the teachers were just insane. I don't know who they were, but they were teaching me all this stuff. And I was just kind of like learning it, not realizing that I was doing anything Un, un, you know, unusual or out of the ordinary or special, anything like that. I was just like, yeah, I love the bass and I loved how it felt to play music. And as I said, I was really obsessed with the radio and I was really obsessed with just listening to music. Right on. Those are some great selections, especially Hall Notes being from Philly. Yeah. You know, that really warms my heart. But that's cool. That was, you know, your dad kind of made you prove it. And then, you know, that kind of motivated you to stick with it. And it's that early, you know, when you learn that young, and you have that sort of like muscle memory and understanding and comprehension when you're like learning language and learning all these formative things as you're seems to be more of a lifelong pursuit than somebody who tries to pick it up in high school or college or whatever. That's awesome. So so you spent some time in L.A. I was going to ask, like, where do you consider yourself from? Yeah, that's a good question. I so I I was born in Rochester, New York. I moved to L.A. Uh, with my parents at like I think I was like three because my other, my yeah, extended family all lived in the California area, whether it be San Diego area on my dad's side or Los Angeles on my mom's side. So they both grew up in California. Um, so we were there. And then at 10, I moved to Nashville, Tennessee. To Music City. Mom. Yeah, which was another random thing. My, I ha my stepdad's a cantor and um, he got a job in Nashville of all places. There's not many Jews there really at the time is the 80s. I don't know. <laughs> it was like everybody in LA thought we were crazy. Like, 
you're moving to Nashville. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah, I moved there with them. And so it happens to be Music City, right? And um, that definitely plays a huge, huge role in my development and as a musician. But that was completely random. There's no like, I don't have, aside from the cantor, I don't have like musical family members or anything like that. So yeah, I kind of consider myself from Nashville in a way because I did grow up from 10 on there. Um, it, LA and Nashville, you know, split, but, um, you know, definitely. Um, so I, I, I left Nashville to go to college and then came back. So I've, I've spent like most of my life living, living there. Okay. And college was Michigan. Am I right? Michigan. Yeah. Went University to Michigan. of yeah. Ann Arbor played the blind pig. I imagine. A million times. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah. It was a music major. I, I started out like I started out. Well, so when I moved to Nashville, one of the things that happened was uh, I was in fifth grade and they were like, I remember they came around and they're like, okay, all the girls have to take home ec. But if you know how to read music or you play an instrument, you can take strings, you know, or, or band or whatever. And I was like, Oh, I'm not doing home ec. Like, I read music, like I play the electric bass and the teacher was like, oh, great. Handed me an upright bass. And so that's how I started playing upright was just in, at 10 um, in the fifth grade, I started playing upright in Nashville because I didn't want to take home ec. And that kind of like spurred that whole thing. So when I went to college, I kind of went thinking I was going to be in an orchestra. Like I was studying classical performance. You know, I thought that was in my mind, like some kind of like legitimate way to do it. Um, so that was the intention when I first went to Michigan, but then like a year in, I ended up changing my major and got my degree in jazz. And, uh, it's actually, it says jazz and contemporary improvisation. So that's what it is. super cool i know a lot of folks through fish and through high school and through summer camp and like the jewish youth diaspora that flocked to ann arbor for college i got dozens of yeah. wolverine homies so oh, yeah. you're in good company and and that and that's how i knew about the blind pig and and pretty you know aware that you know there was cool stuff happening you had the hash bash way before weed was legal like there's yep. a really progressive vibey community going on out there you know, and I think there's a lot of sister towns, you know, and I feel like uh, Burlington, Vermont, Ann Arbor, kissing cousins in some ways like that. Um, so now I'm curious, OK, where does electronic music come into the mix? For me, I was like a hippie in Burlington and somehow, you know, LTJ Bookham, Thievery Corporation, Kruder and Dorfmeister just seeped into 
our scene. I didn't really find like the vibe till years later, but my introduction was around then and that kind of planted the seeds. So given that uh, Sound Tribe, such pioneers in the sort of hybrid nature of live music, improvisational music and electronic music, um, I'm curious, that happened way before your time. So mm -hmm. when does Alana uh, cross paths or embrace you know, the electronic production and, and that whole world, because it couldn't be further from classical upright bass than like crunk ass drum and bass. Right, or jazz or anything. Okay, right. so that's, man, Ann Arbor, that period of time, God, it, it, was, it was like, a, it was incredible. Like I was around, you know, the music school, like you're in this huge university, but the music school is fairly small. And, you know, all the people, all the other musicians that we were going to school together, I mean, they were just absolutely incredible. They knew all these things I didn't know. They, they, you know, and we, we, we used to just sit around and just listen to music together in a way that was like, I look back on it now, like it was insanely special. Like, and it was, it was like a pride of, it was like a pride thing where you, if you introduced your friends or your homies to something they didn't know about, you know, I remember introducing my, the, my bass studio to Bela Fleck and the Flecktones. Um, they had never heard Victor Wooten before. I was like, we're, we're skipping class. We're going to the dorm and we're checking this shit out. I mean, that was the, the energy of, of, of the, the vibe at, in an armor at that time. And so a couple things happened. Um, you know, I, I, I had a band at the time called Machina and that band had, um, I became really tight with, we had uh, the instrumentation was bass, drums, vocals, and electric trumpet. And so my, my homie, Mark Kirschenmann, I'm shouting him out. Cause he's like, he, he probably is responsible for the electronic thing. Um, he had created a MIDI trumpet <laughs> like, and he sounded like Tony Iommi on the trumpet. Just for a you not man it was like it was like he was kind of filling this guitar role but he could get full chords he could get you know and we became roommates so he was showing me you know future sound of london and he was showing me i mean he was showing me um apex twin and he was showing me all kinds of things that i had never heard about but i would say the first thing that got me over like obsessed with electronic music was square pusher and when oh, yeah. that 
when our crew got wind of hard normal daddy and we started listening to that everybody it changed everybody all the bands like because there was like all these bands it was like our band machina there was this band called transmission that had like Stuart bogey was in that band i mean the people i was around at that time like i could list you like they're all doing amazing things they're all fucking crushing like music right now but when we heard hard normal daddy it changed our life we were all just like how is this person doing this what the fuck is going on like and we like nerdy musicians do we dissected it i mean we were people were trying to play it we were trying to figure it out and then you know at the time like we didn't know like tom jenkinson we didn't know that i didn't realize he was a bass player till years later So I have to say that was probably the thing that really got me uh, got me into electronic music. And then further from that was just being around Mark and his whole um, discography, the, his his collection of music and be, having access to his collection and just like digging in and him be like, oh, have you heard this? Have you heard this? And I'm like, hadn't heard any of it. Then at the same time, um, there was a music technology class um, at, at school. And a bunch of us took that. And so we were doing shit where we were like, try, we did a concert where we were playing with someone over the internet. I mean, this was in the nineties though. Like, you know, like we were just doing crazy shit. So it was kind of like all those things coming together that really got me into electronic music, not necessarily drum and bass first. Like that kind of came a little later where I was like, oh, drum and bass is like what I like, or I like IDM. Like I, I, I connected with that the most, you know? Yeah, that's how that was. I can't say enough like how special it is when you're in a like music school can be extremely special, not just because you're at music school and you're whatever. It's the people you're around. It's the other musicians that you're in class with every day that you're studying with every day um, that really make it like an incredible experience. And so I had like one of the most incredible experiences. Yeah. It sounds it. And that music tech class sounds like it was really ahead of the curve, you know? Oh, man. I mean, it was it was crazy. Like we were just I mean, and then like Mark with his MIDI trumpet, that's what inspired me to do MIDI bass. OK, it was how he did that, what he did. And, you know, Brad and I started working on that like sub ID. I mean, I was trying to make this MIDI bass in the early 2000s. Wow. Sub ID tracks back that long. Sub ID originally started as the all rectangle. And so that's how we met. Okay. So, okay. Do you want me to tell you how we met? Sure. I I want your, your journey and your words and however you get there. Oh man. Okay. So I was in this band Machina from school. We decided to move to Chicago after school and just like make a, make a run for it. Like make a fucking, like, like try to do this band. Um, And we, so we moved to Chicago um brad moved to chicago um eventually the band kind of like fizzled out and you know we were still we were trying to work in the music industry in chicago which is kind of a weird music scene in a lot of ways it was at that time tortoise was really popping off we were Mm -hmm. brad and i extremely into the avant-garde thing like we were listening going to roscoe mitchell concerts we were 
really into avant-garde music. Uh, and so we were both of us, he was working at a studio. He was an intern at a studio and I was the front desk person at a studio. And I, <laughs> this guy walks in, we did a lot of like, that studio was like, we did like, they had like Baruch Salt there and like, you know, but at the same time they had some small rooms in the back and Common came in and did some stuff there. So it was a pretty cool spot. Like I was, you know, the people coming in and out. Well, this guy comes out in and he's got all these jazz records. He's got like Art Blakey records and he's carrying like all these CDs, you know, and I just started talking to this guy. Long story short, he offers me a job. He's like, do you want to come work at, um, I work at a record label. Do you want to, he's like, you obviously are really passionate about jazz. You obviously know a lot about it. I'm looking for someone to promote our jazz and blue, our jazz catalog, um, radio and press. Would you want to do this job? I'm like 25. I don't know anything about this, but my band just fell apart. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. So I end up um, working at this place called Delmark Records, which Delmark Records is like, there's the Jazz Record Mart in Chicago. This was like the label that was the, the sister of that. And the label is like, has the first two Sun Ra records, has the first art ensemble record, wow. has all these like seminal records. Um, and then, you know, all the way down to like Dixieland and fucking trad jazz and everything in between. So all of a sudden I'm like working at this record label. I'm promoting jazz. I, it was really awesome. Like I just got to talk about jazz all day. The studio for the record company was in the office building. So when people would come record, like I, I could just walk down the hall and just sit in there, you know? And so like people like Pharaoh Sanders were coming in there. And wow. I mean, it was, it was insane, dude. It was, you know, I'm like talking to like, you know, yeah. Like Roscoe Mitchell on the phone and, and all these, these crazy people. And so Brad and I, at the time we started, we were like, we're going to make an album. You know, we're going to, we're going to try to do this thing, this electronic thing. We had this concept that was like live drums. He was playing an MPC. His, his rib at the time was an MPC and a mini disc player. And we, <laughs> <laughs> we had this, we had this idea that we were going to make this band and it was going to be this sort of hybrid thing. Some of it was inspired, I think, by definitely by Chicago at the time and like seeing people like Rob Mazurik and 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 the guys in Tortoise and, and what they were doing. But it was kind of just something that also kind of came from Square Pusher or, or trying to like think about how do we play this music? Like how how do we take music that is made on a drum machine but play it, you know? And so that band, the All Rectangle, we made an album. It had Fareed Hawk on it. It had Ari Brown on it. It was a really cool record, to be honest. I, I look back on it. And a friend of ours, okay, so because I was working at Delmark, how this all relates, because I was working at Delmark, I would just use that to like talk to people. You know, like I might call somebody like, this is Alana from Delmark Records, and then go into like, well, I've got this record, you know, do you, you know, can I send it to you? So like we, that's pre sub ID, all, the all rectangle is like the beginnings of, of sub ID and that album, um, you know, a friend of ours was like, man, you guys got to get this album to this, this band 
sector nine, like they're kind of doing what you guys are doing. This is so weird, you know, like, and I had never, I didn't know anything about them. And a friend of ours knew Jeffrey. So he was like, man, I no, a friend of ours knew someone that knew Jeffrey. <laughs> so he was like, man, I'm getting this record to them, like, and kind of like shared me, shared with me their music too. And it was uncanny. It was like, oh, I like drums and drum machines like that. Wow. They're doing that too. How cool is that? And then I, I used my little Delmark thing to get, to try to get shows, you know, and I ended up hearing about this promoter, these promoters named silver rapper. And I reached out to silver rapper, which, you know, I think might've been Leif at first, but I also remember talking to Berg at the time. whom I'm sure, you know, Oh yeah. It's one of my dearest friends. One of your dearest friends. And um, was like, man, you know, I have this record, you know, like I was like, really like, you understand, like I was like passionate. I was really not afraid to just like, put, just, I don't know, like get it. Like I was like going after it. So I was just like, man, you know, you know, get like, we want to play, the, you know, some shows, like what can we do? And it happened to be this convergence where Jeffrey got the record they were coming to Chicago for the first time. I was calling Berg, probably like just pounding him. <laughs> you know? um, and he's like, yeah, why don't you come uh, open up for this band, Sound Tribe Sector 9? It'll be their first time in Chicago, but I think it's going to be a really a big show. And I think, you know, I think it's actually like it is a perfect fit. So we went down there. Uh, we were playing at this place called Logan Square Auditorium, where it's not even a fucking venue. Like when he told us where we were playing, I was like, that's not even a place to play. What is, what is, what is like, what is this? So we show up and, um, you know, it was just one of those times where man, this is like, what is this? This is like 2001, maybe. like 2001 so we're all fairly young and excited about music and really amped you know and got to the venue and I remember we had Brad had made these um these like merch that we made it you know it's like iron-on shirts and stuff you know that we made old school I love it old school and I remember like Hunter coming Hunter came up and he was like these shirts are dope he's like let's let's trade let's trade shirts we're like okay cool <laughs> you know like we traded shirts and it was like it was a very like like real just connection it was like man you know wow y'all are cool well you guys are cool too like let's let's do more shows you know and and that's kind of where it started I mean you know um and they were just they blew me away from the fir first song I ever heard them I was just like what the fuck is this you know like this is amazing this is exactly what we hear in our heads, like what Brad and I were sort of like onto it was like, was like, Oh my God, you know, they're, they're doing the same thing. And, you know, they were like, I, I remember being there. They were like, Hey, come backstage. Let's hang out. We come up there and they had reason. We had never seen reason before. They were just like on this shit that we were like, what, did, what the hell is going on here? You know? So that's how we met as a long, sorry, uh, story to get there. 
but um yeah we met there and we just we played from that show we played several more shows together and we were always in touch we were always like you know they we brad and i eventually moved back to nashville right after like right after the logan square show we moved back to nashville and so like they would come through nashville like we would pick them up like that was still when like you know it was like all of them in one hotel room you know on the road so yeah we, we would go over and be like, Hey, can, you know, can we bring you guys shit? Like, can we, you know, like take you to whole foods or take you to the market or whatever? Cause it was like, they were touring in a really like, I mean, they were on a bus and we were, we thought they were just, Whoa, like they're doing it, but it was still real as fuck. Like where you're like in one hotel room with 12 people, you know? Um, so sure. we, yeah, we were always in touch. We would always hang out whenever we would see each other. And then that kind of led eventually to um, us, making making music under the name sub id and one of the times that they the guys were in town um hunter came over to the house like can we play you what we're working on he was like dude you should put this out on our label Okay, done. We're putting, putting right. You know, so that's how that that's how that happened. It's just like some of the realest shit, you know, like real music shit where people are meeting each other and they're just connecting on music. I love it. And uh, first of all, it's it, the long stories are the best. Never wasted time. I love the elongated route for so many reasons, not the least of which is like that's what tickles my fancy is imagining you answering phones at a recording studio working at this giant record swap beat, you know, like all that informs, you know, your journey and by proxy, our understanding of how you got there. I really, really was interested in hearing the sort of uh, the genetics of the original band with like, you know, an onstage live MPC was not common 20 no. years ago and they were unpredictable and, and there was a lot left to chance You yes. throw in a MIDI trumpet. You could say the same thing about, you know, early era, I would say early MIDI was in the 80s, but, you know, it was still pretty primitive juxtaposed to today. And so that, plus the improvisational nature of the jazz mindset, Chicago, Tortoise, I mean, you really took us there. All that to say, the circuitous route works, you know, because it gives us all the necessary clues to bring you to when you cross paths with the band and right up through releasing Sub ID on 1320. Now, 1320 is interesting because it was such a, uh, it was like a expressway to new universes of music that fans found and, and basically like created a whole scene, you know, through the artists that came through the label and the brand. And the, I kind of liken it to Grand Royal and the Beasties in the 90s, where like you could trust Grand Royal if Mike D or MCA or Ad Rock thought that this other project was worthy of the Grand Royal stamp. This is before you could listen and stream. You had to buy on the strength of a connection or the album cover, or in this case, the label. So Luscious Jackson, Money Mark, so much dopeness came through Grand Royal. Um, same for 1320. You know, they it was like uh, if, if Sector 9 thought this was dope, innovative, impressive in some way, 
you know, then, then that was enough for fans. And then, you know, this sort of cottage industry underneath sector nine with the after parties and the festivals and direct support in different regions. And that's a really unicorn thing. You know, not the only band that has it, but uh, it's a select few that have certainly been able to maintain it for so long with such a dedicated fan base, not moving backwards in size of rooms or size of influence or any of that. It's not become super niche. It's really a unicorn. And I, and I love to hear how you came to them, like just as a fan and as a peer, because like you were not connected to like the hippie jam band thing. That's not where you came in. You know, a lot of us found it really my own, like the reason I racked up so many shows in that window of time was because Fish was on hiatus between 2000 and 2002. So we were forced to find other stuff, right? Besides Trey Solo or whatever. For me, two things happened in that window. One was I saw D'Angelo on the Voodoo tour. And <laughs> that literally changed my life, no pun yeah. intended. Like that was a religious experience. And from then I was really seeking out a lot of soul and R&B. So Soul Live, Carl Denson, Universe, et cetera. And they were connected to our sort of jam diaspora but they were making music that was rooted in the same stuff that was you know inspiring d'angelo and the other side of that was was good looking bukum yes. right yes. so i dove head first into that world and and a, a nice like m happy medium of that whole all that energy was was sector nine and so i just jumped on and went hard till around oh five oh six and then you know i wandered or whatever but like I said, it was your coming to the band and, and hearing what people were saying about this new era, this new chapter. So before we get into you actually joining the band, I think it's important to acknowledge, like, you know, Sector 9 has a really devoted fan base and with devotion comes critics and haters or whatever. And that's not native to y'all, you know, same thing with Fish. I mean, even The Grateful Dead, you know, you go to archive.org and you read people's personal opinions of the shows and they're not all glowing even right. on the same nights and i think that that's a that's a beautiful gift to have that kind of attention and devotion and loyalty and it's also a burden i can't imagine uh you know when when things are not received well or misunderstood or whatever so um i wanted to just kind of acknowledge that and as we move into this because you replaced a founding member of the band not just a founding member but the, the mouthpiece the de facto front man and uh that's never easy whether it works or not musically it's never easy to navigate um and people have feelings so i'm curious and you can answer this as much or as little as you like what was that like for you uh like as a human not so much as a bass player to you know be asked to join a band and replace the founding member and then you know in essence receive all the energy positive and negative from this fiercely devout fan base you know it's something i don't mind talking about i think sometimes people are you know think it's a touchy thing it's not touchy for me because okay. these were my friends you know murph is my friend you know we that logan square show when i say like we all connected like him and i connected uh because um we connected in such a deep way. I mean, I like we were like I was obsessed with you talking about jam band. I didn't really get into that, but but you know, like I we Brad and I were obsessed with Aquarium Rescue Unit. That was like oh, yeah. our shit.
So O'Teal, that was a, a real big common denominator with Murph and I, uh, things we were working on on the base at the time, both of us. So even like those years where like, even, even with 1320, like sub ID kind of exists in a really unique way because like we would, we did like whole tours. I don't know anyone else that really did that. So like we would hop in our car um, and follow the bus around for six weeks at a time. And so during that time, you know, like Murph and I would, we would play together. We used to talk about doing an album together. We like really were friends, you know, and respected each other. So that said, on top of that, we were as a unit, Brad and I and the guys like all really good friends so we were you know I mean it was like we you know we knew that that you know things were changing that you know things were evolving in certain ways and I I had you know Murph was actually came he came to our house in Nashville um, to work with Brad for a while and you know I knew that like, I knew that like, I was trying to help him, you know, honestly, we were trying to help him and just like, like kind of musically, like, you know, like find themselves back to each other. You know, I, I've, I've witnessed a lot of people that I love and look up to when bands may, maybe come to a point where they're maybe in different places, be the person that tries to unite them back together, not step in and, take it away. Right. And, and I would say that like during that time, like Brad and I were really trying to facilitate the coming back together. And so like we, you know, when, when Murph decided he wanted to leave, I think it was just like, honestly, a natural thing for them to ask me to do it because, you know, I was a friend. I was someone that was like around, I understood the, it, like what you're talking about, like, you know, I was there for all the hate for artifact, you know, like right. I was there for, you know, all of the shit that people would say, you know, or, or whatever. So like, I was intimately familiar with how intense sector nine fans were. And so I think that like perspective helped me because I was able to, my goal in coming into the band was always to honor the legacy of what they had created, not come in and try to do my thing, you know, <laughs> like, or whatever. It was like, you know, I treated it like, man, I treated it like, um, you know, if somebody, if, if my, if my, if my teacher at school said, you know, I want you to learn this jazz standard. Well, there was a way to do it. You had to go back. You had to learn the first recording. You had to learn, you know, um, maybe the most popular recording you had to like really understand the full length of that song and how it, evolved right and sd's not like that like they'll have a song and as you know it evolves real time like over the years like a song will kind of morph and change and grow and so i really approached it like that when um so yeah so murph decided to leave and um you know during that time you know we were living in nashville i was like a i was a freelance bass player Right. I was playing for all kinds of people doing tours, everything like sessions like, you know, Brad was making um, he was creating virtual instruments for a Swedish company and creating, you know, he was doing really I mean, like he made all of Future Man's drum sounds that he triggers on the drum guitar. Right. I mean, we were and, and so they knew that like they were kind of like, oh, you know, it was always this thing where it's like, man, like 
Alana and Brad are, they're doing this now and they're doing this now. We were always like admiring what they were doing. And so I think when that moment kind of coalesced, it was like, I had just gotten off tour with my, uh, with uh, Jim James and we had seen each other and, 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 you know, um, it was like Hunter just called and said, you know, do you want to play with us? I was like, yeah, of course I want to play with you guys. And I just came into it really honoring Murph, his legacy, what I feel like the beautiful thing, you know, because I was there for it. Right. I, I was there for all the beautiful things. You know, I was there the first time they played Red Rocks. I was there all those times, you know, so I really had this understanding that I think helped me in that moment kind of communicate to fans that like, like I get it. Like, I'm not trying to change this shit. I'm not, I'm just trying to honor it, you know? So I learned, I think, so Hunter called, it's like, yeah, you know, we're going to play together. I'm living in Nashville. And then I was talking to Zach and he was like, you know, we want you to come to Santa Cruz. And I think it was still like, yeah, they asked me to be in the band, but you know, they were like, really like, is this going to work? Like, (laughs) like, we don't know. Um, and I said, you know what, let me take like a month. Give me your top 50 songs that you, you know, give me your top 50 songs and give me a month and then I'll come out to Santa Cruz because I really wanted to like, I mean, I wanted to listen to the first recording of Grow and I wanted to listen to something that was in the middle and I want to listen to, you know, and I wanted to study all of it, really learn, like try to get inside the bass player mentality of what was going on. And so I took those 50 songs and just like went to work. And so that was kind of like part of it too. Like I, I really took the time to study the songs because like I I obviously like had been around and knew, you know, like knew the songs, but I didn't know them. one of the things that's interesting about having an instrumental band is like the name of the song going with the music of the song. Right. And so I, like, I had to you know really internalize all of that. Like, okay, you know, um, and came out to Santa Cruz and, and just, we, you know, we played and it was just, it was just immediately boom. It was just like, we, we the first song that we played together and it, you know, everybody felt it. it. It had that feeling of like, man, it, it, this is going to be good. This is going to be okay. And then it was like, okay, that was like in, that was a, probably a, a month or so, maybe a little more than that before we actually played our first show. So we were, I was sort of um, stayed out there for a while. I went back again and then, you know, we, we started playing and um, I just, I don't know. I went into it with a mentality of honor, of respect, of of legacy, and I think it came through with with what I was doing. And I did. I felt like I did pretty good. Like I didn't get too much backlash. And you know, there's still like, of course, man. There's always going to be people that are like, I miss Murph, or I wish you. You know, that's of course. Like, I that's not a problem for me. Like, I get that. Like, I understand. Like, you know. Um, but I'm, I think at this point now we've sort of evolved nine years later, 
and I, I am kind of free to do my thing and really like take it to where really push it in the way I think, you know, it should go. Yeah. I noticed that at resonate specifically just how much you got to drive and how much that the rest of the band embraces you driving it, you know, like sonically and thematically, you know, I feel like you have a much more prominent presence in the, in the music bosom now, you know, and, and it works, but I appreciate you taking it there. Uh, it's not, it may not be touchy to you, but I think like, I just wanted to approach it with appropriate sensitivity and respect you know, because you never know. And I, and I think you, you brought up so many interesting things that I'm going to work backwards. But when people lament, they miss Murph. You know, we get this. I, I often relate things to Lettuce because I'm very close to them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Krasno, founding member, left the band. Neil Evans to Nigel, et cetera. So when you have Nigel, you have Schmeens, who are exemplary players and presences and contributors to the band. Um, and then you, there's a sizable swath of the Lettuce fan base that pines for Kras. Yes. You know, so I get that. And that's not a slight to Nigel and Neil or or Schmeens and Kraz. It's just people connecting to the early music and who made it. And that's just fan loyalty. But I can also see how it's like, well, we're doing this now, you know, so this is what where we're at now. And, you know, get down or don't. And, and I really love how y'all have kind of maintained sort of this uh, above the fray. You're going to play the music and make the music. You're going to give the music. And what we do with it is what we do with it. But And, yeah. and that's art for art's sake, not compromise, not, hey, this is what people want to hear. Now, granted, when you come back and say they want to hear this song and you guys work it up, I mean, there's no greater gift than that, than the band receiving a, a plea for a song and digging it up and delivering it in 2023 tones, you know? Um, so I really love that. And I remember the community, the reaction uh, to the news, to the change, to the new chapter. Um, again, really unique and speaks a lot to the depth of people's reverence for Sector 9 was just the, the emotion that people felt. Mm -hmm. Positive, negative, shock, whatever it was, like they're impacted. And that, that is indicative of the love and the depth. And I'll, I remember, I mean, my last show that I saw with Murph was the first tribe show I'd seen in like five years, which was Symbiosis 2013, one of his last gigs. And uh, and I had just moved out here to the West Coast and was with a lot of people, ironically, who call the Santa Cruz Mountains home. And then uh, I remember when somebody played me, you on New Dawn, New Day. It was like a show opener, one of your first gigs, right? Birds flying high, you know how I feel. Sun in the sky, you know how I feel. Breeze drifting on by, you know how I feel. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new life for me, yeah, it's a new dawn, it's a new day. For me, Ooh. it's a new dawn, it's a new day. It's a new dawn, it's a new day. 
even then, through headphones, miles away, days later, I felt it, you know? A, that that's like my genetic code, that style of tribe song. Yes. But also the message and, and, and what it meant and what was possible now, I just felt it from that very moment. Man, that's so cool because like, I mean, you spoke to it like way earlier, but the intention of the band, the, you know, is something that's like really kind of, it's very unique. I, I, I mean, they inspire me with that energy all the time. Like, I'm just like, wow, you guys are, it's amazing. Like, and the intention is always the thing. And so when I, when I did join the band, you know, as you, as you probably know, no, there was no announcement. We, we intentionally were like, especially with the fact that Murph was the voice, as you, as you mentioned, how are we going to deal with that? How we dealt with it was like, we're just going to let the music speak for what we're saying. We're not going to say a thing. We didn't, I don't think anyone spoke for months. We, we, we would sample ourselves in the studio and just be like STS nine, you know, or, you know, like intentionally, it wasn't like, because it was like, it was just like, we needed to let the dust settle. We needed to let shit just like recalibrate. And so the new Dawn new day thing was completely intentional. We came in, we were like, we want to write a drum and bass, you know, good looking. Um, we want to write this song that really reflects how we feel as a unit, as a new band. And as someone that's a band, that's also like, you know, almost 20 years deep at that point. And so that song was like, it was completely intentional. We're writing this drum and bass song. It's going to be the first song we play together in front of people. And I just, you know, like there was no announcement, even at the hotel, like there were fans, you know, staying that had come to see because I just walked out. That's how we announced it. <laughs> I was right. like, surprise, it's me. Now, maybe some people knew because I was like kind of around, you know, in general, but, um, you know, just with the, with, you know, sitting in and things like that. But I mean, we didn't, we wanted to let the music like completely speak for where we were at. That was the whole thing. So it's good that you got that. That's awesome. I, I transmitted loud and clear to anybody who could put their own opinion aside and just embrace, you know, yeah. and I understand. And, and it's a kind of unfortunate that there's a certain, and I'm not talking shit about anyone in particular, or any bands, fans in particular, but, but fans of bands, particularly in the jam diaspora, uh, there's a sense of entitlement where like they, and then that bothers me and I'm not the artist, you know? So I can only imagine how that feels on the other end and, and being able to sort of like separate that from the intention and the performance and then you throw in all the feels attached to what we're talking about, new member, moving on, all that. It's a lot. And then, and then of course, you know, there's drugs in the mix with fans and it, it exacerbates feelings in one direction or the other. So there's a lot in it. And um, so I really appreciate, A, how you articulated that and also the grace with which the band moved through such a, you know, what in some ways was traumatic and certainly difficult experience i mean this is somebody they known and played music and called a brother for a long time so to have the whole world or the whole sector nine world watch that you know there's a lot of opportunity for people to misspeak or for there to be shit talking or That's there right. to be like and and y'all gracefully you know remained above the fray and i think i don't know if it was intentional i'm going to think it probably was but i love um you know, just a feminine essence in the music in general. 
especially bass players. I was thinking about this before we talked. Tina Weymouth, Laura Lee, so many like female bass players that bring an intangible femininity to the music that's essential, right? So when you hear the sample of Nina Simone in the beginning of New Dawn, New Day, and you walked on stage with them, and I wasn't there, but I mentally was there. Even now, it kind of gives me a little bit of like the goosebumps to talk about it because, I mean, Nina, no more iconic, right? And for you to come out and basically just, you know, that that's it. Where it's a new dawn and I'm feeling good. And then, boom, downbeat and we're off. You know, it's just really amazing page turn. And the last decade has probably been, you know, exactly that. And we're off. Yeah, one thing I just want to, I do want to say is like, you know, the other guys in the band, they really embraced me in such a beautiful way. And that, that I think also went far with the fans, you know? Um, and so I really owe a lot to them, just how they approached that and how they welcomed me and treated me from the get-go. Um, I was never treated like, um, I don't know, a side person or something, you know, like I, it was always just like, this is what we're, our, we're doing this together. And so um, that's important. Really really beautiful, you know, so. Yeah, I was thinking about that, too, like in terms of like a lot of times there's hazing or is there a new guy or new new gal and like sort of like seniority. And I think of like a famous one is Metallica when when Jason Newstead joined Metallica after Cliff Burton died and he was the new guy for like 20 years and in essence drove him out of the band. So the fact that there was none of that and that you were embraced in such a way. And I'm sure that the fact that you were with Brad in a car behind them for six weeks at a time for so many years, yeah. uh, figured into the fact that you didn't feel like a new new person. You've yeah. been around, you just is a different role. right? And, and the fans' perception, at least the ones that I'm in communicate with, was always that you and Brad were like these mad scientists, you know, like just way in left field trying crazy shit. So, you know, that's just how we saw you with sub ID kind of with very little to go on, but our perception, you know what I mean? And now it sounds like it was pretty, pretty close, you know, Pretty accurate. (laughs) Yeah. But so, so I was at once surprised and also not surprised when it was you. And I think that uh, I can't imagine it going any other way. I'm going to pull a fan question. I I reached out to some of my most hardcores and uh, this, this one fits in pretty good right here. Um, I just need to pull them up. But one thing that, and this kind of figures into what we've been talking about all along with busting out songs, with you being a new contributor to the band and also the depths of the catalog and writing things from, or the band writing things years and years ago and then or p- perform them in today's Stone Tribe Tones. The question is from my friend JB. Um, and he wanted to ask about the songs that have really like focused FIPS modular rack more and more. It's mm-hmm. a very regular part of the sets, and a lot of the bust outs are kind of tweaked or informed by the mod. So, how organic or conscious is it a decision to do that? Is it something that David decides or you suggest to him? And this is really what I want to ask is uh, do you like playing off the spontaneity and uncertainty that comes with the modular rig? Yeah. So, like, that's a great question. Fips in the modular, right? Like, holy shit like you want to <laughs> you want to go deep down a fucking you know amazing place i remember being in uh nashville at um war memorial in 2009 with those guys and phipps was like you want to see something 
yeah, I want to see something. And he unracks this. I'd never seen modular since. I mean, this thing was like, and he just had it out on the road. And so this is, this is like something that he is really passionate about. Right. And it's a, it's obviously a really niche thing, you know, like, um, takes a lot of time. It's, you know, it's a, it's an analog synthesizer. I mean, it's, you know, it can be really unruly. You can get up there and it can be out of tune. It can be, I mean, there's so many things, right. Um, and, um, we started doing the modulars long ago. I don't know when the first, maybe, maybe 2015, I'm thinking we started throwing modulars in as the band has, as we've gone down the road and especially after the pandemic, we are in a very, very deep improvisational thing right now. Like all, everything right now is really like, there's a lot of focus on like making space and time to improvise. And so we've really through a lot of Hunter and Phipps really coming together and bringing their worlds together have have they've really gotten into this amazing place with the modular where we've, we've gotten to a place where we're like, it's very, we can depend on it. It's very consistent. Um, and so we use it as kind of like a jumping off point for improvisation. Um, a lot of that is maybe we'll start with it, just our process with set lists where we'll be sort of like putting together a set and we, you know, we were always looking for those spots of improvisation, right? Well, where can we, you know, where can we open this up? You know, sometimes it's, it, and it's all, again, you know, everything with SC, it's not, it's very intentional. It's like, okay, we might do a song that, you know, the time before we opened up and improvised. Now we're not going to do that. We're going to do it over here. Right. So we, we kind of like, um, sometimes it's just like a, an idea that Zach and I will kind of come like, wouldn't it be fun if we did modular, <laughs> you know, like, and then we'll kind of go to David and be like, what do you think? Is this a good tempo? Do you like, do you think this would be fun? And, and he'll be like, Oh yeah, this will be great. And he'll go and he'll, you know, make a, um, you know, make a modular patch for it and make a, a loop for it. And they'll kind of come together on it. And that's how it grows. And the modular thing has just become such a fun thing it's just fun like we go you know it, it it kind of inspires us to do different things it creates different types of improvisation it definitely scratches the itch of like okay we want to do a an acid thing or we want to do a you know a, a, you know whatever whatever a housey thing you know and and it sort of it gives us that nice bed to like just jump off the deep end um and we're just having the best time with the modular right now. So it's going to be something that's definitely like, it's going to be there all the time because we're just, it's, it's a great improvisational jumping off point. And we're just really into how it changes songs, um, how we can throw it into a song and just take a song that was like over here into a whole other place. Um, and so we're always like, right now we're kind of like into like trying to find those like, nooks and crannies like where can we throw a modular fips do you think this is cool you know um and a lot of that technical work it, there's a lot of technique to make it happen like he makes it look really easy well, yeah um, but i mean if we're talking 14 years he showed it to you in 2009 so he's his yeah. worked long and hard i was gonna say he's got it yeah. so fucking dialed now i mean yeah. from the size to how he employs yes. it control it's a long it's come a long way yes it, it has 
it reflects in the chemistry of the way. That's why I think JB asked about that. It's like, cause you all have to react to it and kind of, it, it's leading the way, yeah. whether you like it or not, exactly. you kind of have to just go. Um, but I, I really love like a great example, really emotional was, uh, was the HB walks at Red Rocks, which had a kind of had a modular life for a while it was, had really yes. strayed from the original, but for whatever reason, it sort of came full circle. And even though it was modded, it was very native to the original at Red Rocks. And we yeah. had just endured this rainstorm and, and it was like manna from heaven. And I mean, there were like people openly weeping. I know. Yet it was like also very of the now. It was not just a bust out old school. We're going to play this old song. It felt in a lot of ways really brand new, but also rooted in the OG vibe. And just to see the impact that had you know, I loved it, but, you know, to see it had on some folks, you know, was just really powerful and spoke again to the devotion. Man, we like, that's a song that like, it, it, it's always, it always comes up, right? Like, like, you know, that I mean, we're not going to like beat around the bush. People want the, the, the HB walks lore is a thing. Right. right? And it, it does, that song does exist in a, in a place that's challenging. Like it's challenging for us to try to bring it into 2023 and, you know, we're going through the sets and we're, you know, the whole uh, walk the sky theme. And that's been something that's been really great for us is to have these themes as well, because we dig it. I mean, when, when we do a theme, like, like Hunter will write a document for the theme that will, I mean, maybe one day we'll share them. It'll, it would blow your mind to know how deep this shit is like intentionally deep. Mm -hmm. So the, the walk, the sky thing was like, we were, we were, you know, Zach and I just we, we were going through it and um we were like oh my god how amazing would it be if we could do an HB walks the sky like that would be so dope and I a lot of times you know we do things and we forget about them so we had done an HB walks modular in I don't know if it was 2015 or 16 2015 for anyone that is into sector nine if you haven't delved into 2015 I would I would go right there. It's a pretty cool year. Um, but we had done it before and we forgot about it. And I kind of found it, you know, um, and I was like, Zach, check this out, man. Let's do HB Walks the Sky. And when we when we brought it back up and I could play it for the other guys, it was like, oh, fuck, yeah. Like, let's do it, you know? And it worked out. I mean, you know, David did a great job, um, I think, with the how he did the modular. And and it worked great, you know? It, and that's the other thing about the modular that's so cool. It really does, like, enable us to do things that maybe would be challenging to do otherwise. It, it, it immediately just brings it into 2023 so it's pretty cool oh i love that i love that and and you touched on one of my i got two more se sector nine questions and then two unrelated to sector nine. okay cool so well, i just wanted to kind of just 
ask about the themes because that is a new thing and it's really it comes with the intention and stuff and you took you mentioned about hp with the document but is that basically his baby the themes or is that like a full band uh like dream it up together kind of thing it's a full band like dream it up together thing but i would say like just like everything in the band like everybody has their strengths and it's we really try to let people take the you know do what they do best you know and you know hunter is just he's amazing with that stuff. Like he's amazing with names of songs or the intention behind it and how it relates to a name. And, you know, um, a lot of the things that we'll come up with, he will like, we'll come up kind of like as a group, like, but a lot of times it is coming from like an idea that he had that we discuss. And then he kind of goes back and he'll like, you know, I mean like the shit that we're planning for Red Rocks, like just, I mean, it's so, it's so dope. It's so next level. Like this, the chroma light thing that we're going to do and all that, all that stuff is all written out. It's all like thought through. It is not just like, woo, we've come, you know, <laughs> like, right. yeah. You're not so, winging it. I get it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it his- comes through in the music and, and in the whole, I mean, from Tiberius to everything is yeah. in alignment and shout out to Tiberius because again, a tremendous part of the experience and he's really come a long way too. And yes. it feels like a real, part of the elixir so i just wanted to show some love there and uh just a quickie relative to the touring cycle so uh this again comes from jb and dave uh okay. is this something we can expect to be the norm these like three day hitters in a city or do you foresee because i know there's a lot of post-pandemic realities economic realities you're raising a family all kinds of stuff other band members kids wives yeah. etc a lot of moving parts do you anticipate the the old school touring model coming back to the band or is everybody pretty stoked on how it's working right now? You know, I don't, I can't even, I don't know. I don't know what the future will bring. Um, you know, I think you hit on like a lot of really important things. Um, one is just like the post pandemic reality of touring is really different. I know it's probably really hard for anybody that's just a, a fan to really understand but it really is, has changed. And um, this is our way of adapting to it, you know, Mm -hmm. and making it work for, um, for all, all realms. Um, But it has afforded us a really cool creative thing as well. And so we started to kind of do it 2019. And it really, I think what, what we love about it right now, and not to say that listen, we all love to play. I mean, we live to play. So it's like, will we ever tour like, you know, for six weeks at a time? Yeah, I'm, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it's really like, no one knows right now anything. <laughs> like I think right. in the music industry, it's just really, everybody's trying to like get a normalcy back. Um, so I don't know, but I do know that like we, what's it, the, the creative space that it's afforded us is really cool because when we play two nights somewhere, you can guarantee that you're going to get your stuff. Like you're like, we're going to give you something that you were looking for. You know, we can really express the breadth of the band and the history and the whole thing we feel when we do two nights and like really sit down in a place and really like come up with a concept and dig into it, you know? And like you said, like Tiberius, he digs into the, you know, he gets the document. So he's reading the document. He's trying to think, how can I express some of these ideas through his medium. So 
it feels good creatively. So um, there are things about it that are challenging, right? It's like the, the other side of that is like, there are places we really want to go that we're having, we're trying to like go, we can't, like, we're trying to figure it out. Like, how can we go there? <laughs> you know? sure. like, um, so, you know, I hope that the music industry continues to sort of like settle and like kind of come into like a realm where you can kind of like have expectation. Cause I think that's also part of it is like, you know, you base a lot of these things on, you know, past things, right? Like you go, okay, well, we're going to look at, you know, the details of this show in, in 2019 and we're going to base our, you know, thing off of that. Well, you can't do that anymore. Everything's just like changed. Right. So, um, but we do really enjoy how we're doing it right now. So, but we'll see. You never know. Yeah. There's pros and cons to both. I think the performances speak for themselves and the quality of the production top to bottom. And at the same time, uh, you know, second and third markets get, you know, it's those yeah. bands can't get, get to those gigs. Um, but thank you for addressing that as much as well as you could, given the circumstances. All right. We're going to have to go King Solomon. Uh, pick one. Give me the clips okay. notes on your relationship with either Victor Wooten or Jim James. Yeah. Well, we can know, pick both if you want to just. Yeah, I could probably, both, but I'll start with Victor because like Victor is, um, we like the Wooten brothers are dear friends of ours. They are like, have done so much for Brad and I, like we've both worked with them in various ways. Nashville of course I knew Victor Wooten I knew who he was we you know I uh, knew the Wooten brothers you know his brothers play all the time so that was like you know something I grew up with again you know one of those things that you don't really realize how amazing it is until you like get older and you're like holy shit I used to go hear Vic play solo at a vegan restaurant you know <laughs> when I was like 11 you know um so that said when I was living in Chicago um I I used to, he used to have, okay, so Victor had this website back in the late nineties, early two thousands, where he would put lessons up there. I mean, he was doing stuff on his website that no one was doing. And I, I was like really obsessed with it. So I would like check back all the time. One of the times I checked back, lo and behold, he had this camp that he was doing. And I was like, Oh, cool. It happened <laughs> to be that it was, you know, of course in Nashville, it happened to be that it was like right after um, um, Rosh Hashanah. So I was already going to be at home. Um, and I was like, oh, I'm going to, yeah, I'm applying to go to this camp, you know? Okay, cool. So it was a camp uh, called Base Nature Camp. It was how the base relates to nature. Wow. It was um, a concept that he had kind of come up with. Um, it's really, you know, he still does 
a ton of those camps and the base nature camp, but I was at the first one. And so it was a really special camp. Um, and he, you know, we, I get there and it was kind of a time in my playing where I was really unconfident to be completely real. I was really unconfident in what I was doing. And so I, I went to the camp. Um, I was afraid to even speak to him. I didn't even talk to him. I was like in a weird mental space at that time. And it was like the last day of camp. And I finally had his rotation where I got to be in a class with him, you know, and he, he was like, came up to me after the class was like, do you want to, do you, have you heard of the base collective in New York? I said, yeah, I've heard of it. So, you know, he's like, okay, cool. Do you want to go there? I said, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> and then um, we get to the end of the night and the, the last night of camp is a jam session where he, he basically invites anybody to come. He'll put together a band. The band was like Jeff Coffin and all his brothers and JD Blair, Bela Fleck. Um, these are my idols. Like JD Blair, if, if any, anyone listening to this, if you don't know who that is, please go find out who JD Blair is. And he goes on the speech. He's like, so we, you know, I love everybody can come up and jam, like play whatever you want. This is your band for the night. You can come up and jam and it's optional. I'm not going to make anybody do it, but I highly encourage you to take advantage of this opportunity. And he looked and as he gets done and he kind of looks at me and he comes over and he goes, but you have to play. He's like, you don't have a choice. And I was like, okay. And it was like, he just saw something. He just, he knew I needed, he saw that I needed, I don't know, just encouragement. I don't know what the right word is, but he saw it. And 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 I, I thank him for it profusely because I got up and played with those guys and it was life-changing. And he gave me a scholarship to go to New York. And I went to New York and studied at the Bass Collective for a couple wow. of weeks. And um, that kind of eventually led to me playing in Jeff Coffin's band and, you know, being hired to play for Jeff. So that said, I mean, Brad, like I said, he designed, you know, all of Roy's drum sounds. He spent a short time being Victor's tour manager. I mean, we have a very deep relationship and he, Victor's just taught me so many things and he's, that's his thing. It's like, he can teach you all these things without teaching it to you. You know, and I, I don't, he's incredible that way. And all his brothers, you know, I, I in Nashville would play weddings with those guys, you know, where it's like, you know, I get a call from Reggie to play a wedding, you know, and you're standing there playing a wedding with the Wooten brothers. You're like, what the, what is even happening right now? Um, so it was, an it's an education. When you go to Nashville, if you're in that scene, you know, you are trying to learn all the songs that they know. You're trying to really em embrace that. So that's, that's Victor. And and we still are, are, are great friends. And, and, you know, that kind of led to, you know, he, he actually knew of STS9 way before I was in the band. So we had had conversations about Sector 9 before because he'd be like, what are you, what are you doing? What are you up to? And be like, oh, I've got this album. I'm going on tour or whatever. And so he, you know, when that happened, you know, it was so amazing that we just happened to be at summer camp together. And I was like, dude, come play with us. And of course he's like, yeah, let's do it. And so 
that's how those things happen. The thing we, he sat in with us in Boston, Zach, we were on, I was like sleeping on the bus. Cause I'm, that's my general, um, touring. <laughs> um, but Zach was up, he was like, you know, at a coffee shop, ran into Victor on the street in Boston. It's like, Oh, you know, you're a town. He's like, you know, and, and that, and he came and sat in. So, you know, that's just been really beautiful that we've gotten to play together, but we have a long history. I owe him, I don't even know what I owe him, but I owe him a lot. And um... Jim James, that whole scene, you know, as I mentioned, I, I was a bass player for hire, you know? Um, and so when you're a bass player for hire, one thing leads to another leads to another, right? I started playing with, um, okay. I started playing with this guy, Casey Dreesen. I'm naming these names so that people can go and look at who yeah. I started playing with this guy, Casey Dreesen. He's a fiddle player. He played in, uh, he plays with, he played a lot with Bela Fleck and, and that world started playing in his band that led to, um, he played in a band with Bela that also had a cellist, Ben Soli. Ben Soli is from Louisville, Kentucky. And I started playing in Ben Soli's band. He gave me a call and was like, I, um, I'm doing a new record. I want you to play on the record. Um, and Carl Brummel from My Morning Jacket was on the session. So I went to Louisville for about a week and did the sessions for, for that record, Half Made Man, which is an amazing record that everyone should check out. Don't you know that I'm finished? You saw my half made man, and I need your forgiveness. Yeah, became friends with Carl and Carl Brummel lives in Nashville. So we were, you know, it's like all the music is like that. It's like, yeah. you know, everybody knows each other in this really backwards way. Well, the engineer for that record is also My Morning Jacket's engineer. And at the time he had done a solo record with Jim. And um, he he just approached me at that session was like, I really think you'd be a great person to come play bass for this this tour we're doing with Jim. Okay. I didn't think anything of it. I thought I'd never hear like a lot of times people say things and you're like, yeah, okay, cool. And then you never hear anything of it, but I did, you know, Jim hit me up. I was like, you know, I'm doing this tour. Da da da. He sent me the record and I just was blown away. Like I, I, I was like, uh, you know, regions of sound light of God. If you, if you haven't checked out that record, Oh yeah. He's do yourself a favor. It is fucking epic. Um, and he's playing like everything on it really, except for drums. Um, and so, yeah, and that's how that started. And, and I did, I don't know, a good year or so worth of, of stuff with, with him. And it was, it was a uh, really special, amazing experience. We got to do, you know, all the 
David Letterman and all that stuff. And so that was really cool. And yeah, man, he's an inspiring person to be around. Great musician. Oh, I bet. And how just incredible and fortuitous to be, to have such a strong relationship with a guy like Jim or especially Victor Wooten, just iconic artists in the culture, you know, and, and it's such a privilege and probably joy for you to, to share that with both of them. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to touch on some, some non sector nine stuff just so it wasn't totally one dimensional. I know we're out of time, but my parting shot is just to tell you uh, that I only recently found out that you are on one of my favorite tracks of all time, which is 16 ain't enough, really the Andre 3000 verse. So there is no greater bonafide. Like you don't need any more cred in the tribe (laughs) world. You are on a song with three stacks and not just any song, but here's uh, Rick Ross is Rick Ross, but, but Andre's verse on 16 is one of the greatest verses I've ever heard. It makes me well up with tears. I put it on before I talk to you today, just to get in the zone. Summer 88, I was 89, I was in wintertime, oh never mind, I'm in my room, booming, and LL Cool J album covers with Crayolas on construction paper, I'm trying to fuck my neighbor, I'm trying to hook my waves up, I'm trying to pull my grades up, to get them saddle lace-ups, before Lamarck was Jacob, before them girls wore makeup, before my voice would break up, before we tour them shake clubs, before my mama wake up, before my crumbs would cake up, before they tell me they love me and will never break up, before the time. And so I just wanted to shout you out for that. Maybe next time we talk, you could tell me how that happened. But I just yeah. wanted to give you props and say that song is everything to me. That verse, that song, and and your foundation, the, the low end, the sonics, peak. So give thanks. Thank you. Yeah, man. We, I mean, Brad and I recorded that in our house in Nashville, um, in our basement. Um, and yeah, had the same reaction when when we got sent the track and the verse. I was like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> like ah. Um, so it, that, you know, being on that album is like a, a huge honor and, um, yeah, let's one day I'll tell you that story. I look for forward week. to it. You've been so generous with your time and your sharing and your story and I'm grateful. And I just want to say thank you. It's going to be a joy to edit and produce this, I'm putting you the front of the line. Thank you, sir. Thank you so much for your yeah. time. Yeah. Happy Passover and much love. And we'll see you. Uh, I don't know when I'll see you again sometime this summer. I'm sure. Awesome, dude. Much love. All right. That was a good one. Give thanks and a deep bow to Alana Rockland of STS9 Sub ID. Uh, just a really 
heart filling and interesting and like I said earlier illuminating she really had no problem talking about all the things and you know anytime there's you know founding members and band people being replaced and relationships and stuff that goes back decades and millions of miles and it's deep and there's a reason why they don't often speak on it and when they do they're very intentional and it speaks to any artist when you talk about Lettuce and Krasno and Neil Evans, etc. I mean, Sam Kininger. You know, I'm close to Lettuce, so as I mentioned in the conversation, you know, I always relate it back to that. So the grace with which all of Sector 9 has moved through that experience, then and now, is, is, is really beautiful and impressive. And uh, I have a lot of admiration and respect for just how STS 9 moves through life and music and you're hearing that 1103 that we spoke about and when i ran into her backstage at resonate we chopped it up for a quick second she said we got to go practice because we're digging deep for something and it was this and it was magical beautiful that whole really the second set of the second night of resonate it was fantastic and like i said they've been on fire you know uh, after straying from the scene and the music for so long to see so many shows uh, in a calendar year and to be so reconnected with the music has been <clears throat> also heart medicine which we need as much as we can find these times so I give thanks to Alana for subtly and intentionally luring me back to the cauldron of Sector 9 and to lose myself in the dance and the bliss in the uh, hallowed cathedral of the amphitheater stage, Spirit of Swanee, uh, the site of so many magical moments, uh, was was just everything. So, so grateful to have been there, and from that came this conversation that I hope everybody enjoyed as much as I did. One thing we talked about at the very end that I really wanted to talk more about, but I'm glad we got it in, was the Andre 3000 verse on... 16 ain't enough so like we always do about this time the vibe junkie jams and we're gonna do two now i'm just gonna play the verse from andre 3000 on rick ross's uh 16 ain't enough that the justice league is is uh who gets the credit for production but as you heard both brad and alana had a role in bringing this song to life and when i say that andre 3000 uh, is one of my favorite MCs. I'm not being hyperbolic. I put him like right there with Black Thought and Jay-Z and most Def, you know, in my sort of like upper echelon. Personally, you know, Rakim kind of oscillates atop them all. But after that, you know, and, and I put three stacks in that pantheon. And this is right at the top of my favorite Andre verses. Now, I'm, I'm not going to play the Rick Ross because the whole concept of the song is 16 bars are not enough to tell this story so both MCs go long and Rick Ross is I whatever I'm not here to hate but we're about that three stacks right Andre 3k you all know what it is right dungeon fam organized noise outcast in the building and and for real this is one of the most just otherworldly rap verses period 
So I'm just going to fade it in and we're going to, he, he does kind of like a long spoken word intro and then he starts rhyming. So we're going to do that. And then I'm going to play the brand new song from Ect. Yep. The Belgian Trap Jazz, The Lads from Overseas. Brand new album is dropping May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Full length Ect album. So next time you hear from me, that'll be out in these streets. So we can play maybe something else from it. But they just dropped their third single from this forthcoming record. The song's called Cheesecake. Say it like you're pissed. Cheesecake. So we're going to follow 16 Ain't Enough, Andre 3000 with Ect Cheesecake. So if, if y'all Sector 9 fans are here still, you should check this out. Because this is like the next generation. If, if, if Tribe planted the seed and grew the garden and then groups like uh numa trio or break science uh or whomever kind of like took it the next step the 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 children of break science and numa on the other side of the world in brussels belgium is a four lads that go by ECT, all caps with an exclamation point, E-C-H-T, and in Brasilier, which apparently is a slang of the language that they talk over there, or some sort of like uh, version, it means the real thing. And I'm always telling you all that ECT is as advertised. The realest of the real, so... That's how we're going to finish up. 16 ain't enough into cheesecake. On episode 66 of the Up For Life podcast. If you made it to the end, love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Give thanks. Thanks to Alana. Thanks to Live For Life Music. Thanks for Sector 9. Thanks for the spirit of Swanee. And I'll say goodbye. Job bless. And we'll see you next time. Yes, indeedy.
Oh, never mind. I'm in my room, booming, drawing LL Cool J album covers with Crayolas on construction paper. I'm trying to fuck my neighbor. I'm trying to hook my waves up. I'm trying to pull my grades up. They get them saddle lace ups. Before Lamar was Jacob. Before them girls wore makeup. Before my voice would break up. Before we tour them shake clubs. Before my mama wake up. Before my crumbs would cake up. Before they tell me they love me and will never break up. Before the time she makes love to someone that I thought was my homeboy. But boy, was I wrong now? I don't budge. Don't want much. Just a roof and a porch and a porch and a horse. And unfortunately, but of course, an assortment of tour. Just that score. Just the skin when they enter and True, there's who's too, there's did a lousy job How's he God if he lets Lucifer let loose on us That noose on us won't loosen up But loose enough to juice us up Make us think we do so much and do it big Like they don't let us win I can't pretend, but I do admit It feel good when the hood pseudo-celebrate Hence why every time we dine We eat until our belly ache Then go grab the finest wine and drink it Like we know which grape and which region it came from As if we can name them Hint, hint, it ain't them Well, just, hell just fell 3,000 more degrees cooler Y'all can't measure my worth But when you try, you'll need a ruler made by all the Greek gods, because the odds have always been stacked against me when back's against the wall. I feel right at home, y'all, sitting right at home, all Kelly green with envy while I'm jelly beans descending into the palm of a child. Looks up at mama and smile with such a devilish grin. Like, what the hell have you been? She's yelling, selling's a sin. Well, so is telling young men that selling is a sin if you don't offer new ways to win. A dolphin gon' shake his fin, regardless if he gets in or out of water. Most important thing for him is to swim and flip a den hole his nose. So why shall I hold my tongue? I miss the days of old when one could hold his gal on his arm And I set off these alarms when camera snap, snap, snaps Return fat, pat, 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 pat They'll learn why mere privacy's so essential They won't make no laws, I break they law till they see out our window I take the fall to make them all treat humankind more gentle Forsake them all, I hate them all, don't like them, don't pretend to Yeah, something tells me we ain't in Kansas anymore All the shit that used to be cool ain't cool anymore All them women we were pursuing, now they want more And they deserve it all, don't settle for what ain't yours When 16 ain't enough Break it down for Andre. Uh-huh. 